Howdy Judy. That wasn't a great theological introduction, but it was real. Jake, Bethany, thanks for the opportunity to share. It's good to be in the house of God. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go unto the house of the Lord. For it's here that we as the children of God gather. Jesus said, where two or more are gathered in my name, there I am in their midst. And he comes with a purpose. And that purpose is to bring healing, comfort, encouragement, hope, deliverance. He comes to open prison doors. He comes to set captives free. And he's here. He promised that. And that's good. Let's pray. Father, we look to you. Father, we thank you for sending your son. We thank you, Lord, that in your presence is the fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Father, we thank you that you've given us your son and that, Jesus, you are here today. You are here with a purpose. Lord, let your anointing flow. Break yokes, Lord. Bring healing. And Lord, help me share our journey. Lord, help me share the principles that you birthed within me that have allowed me to walk with you all these years. Lord, we just look to you. Give us understanding. Give us ears to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Some of you may recall that I was up here a while back, actually last year, in which uh, the title of my message at that time was Hearing God's Voice. Pastor Jake asked me to continue this subject matter, and today my subject is titled Walking with God. Powerful subject. And I'm looking forward to sharing uh, what the Lord has been doing in me, the things I've learned, and I believe the Lord wants me to share them in such a way that the same thing that God did in me, the desire that was birthed, the understanding, the knowledge, that he in turn would birth it in you today if it's not there already. Amen? After I shared <clears throat> that uh, first word, hearing God's voice, and share a little bit about my experience of coming in to this relationship with Lord, the Lord. It wasn't easy. There was a lot of frustration involved, but there was a desire. And I didn't give up when it came to wanting to have what my friend had. He had a relationship with God. He told me he heard God's voice. And so I uh, shared my experience in coming into this relationship and begin, beginning to hear God's voice. And since then, the question has been asked me, so John, were you adopted by monks and raised in a monastery or what? You're hearing God's voice all the time. This is very unusual. And my answer to that question to you today was, no, I was not adopted by monks, nor was I raised in a monastery. 
the farthest thing from it. I wouldn't call Guiley Elementary, Hamlin, at that time it was called a junior high, Springfield High School, ended up out at Sheldon. It was not a monasteric atmosphere. <laughs> How many could say amen? Any, any uh, fellow uh, Springfieldites, Eugeniaites, Sheldonites? And just to get a little real here of the fact that I was not isolated or secluded, but rather my friends and I were very much exposed. Just to get real here, uh, when it comes to exposure, we uh, were influenced by our siblings, by our older brothers and sisters, by our parents to live for pleasure. And uh, we, my friends and I, we were not monks. We were more like monkeys, <laughs> very curious. And so we jumped in headfirst into this type of lifestyle. And getting real here, excuse me. My friends from junior high, high school, it's sad, but it began to open my eyes. One of my friends, we were good buddies, played football for years together. Sophomore year in high school, uh, he uh, stole his mom's Trans Am. He and the other brother that I played football with for years took this Trans Am, were terribly drunk, flew off a cliff, rolled down an embankment. They were there for, for days with the car on top of them crying out for help. They were eventually found days later by a fisherman that was down there. One of them survived. That gentleman, I recall standing in front of him sophomore year at high school, about two months later, he was there on crutches, one leg totally amputated, sharing with me, John, and he shared his name. Our friend just cried out for days for help, screaming for help, while that car laid on top of them. The next day he cried out, I don't want to die. I don't want to die all day long. And then he went silent. Another friend, good friends. We knew one another for years, junior high and high school. Even spent some time together in Skipworth Juvenile Detention Home. Anybody ever been there? Across from Autzen, it's no longer called that, Skipworth. But it wasn't worth skipping for, I tell you. But uh, even spent some time there, and his parents found him. Committed suicide in their garage. Another friend was going to another friend's uh, wedding. He was going to be the best man. Terribly drunk. Him and his friend on the way there to the wedding uh, got in an accident. Both died. He never made it to that wedding. He wasn't the best man that day. My best friend, he and I... As teenagers, we rented right over here on Cloverleaf, a duplex. I was 18, he was 17, partying all the time, selling pot. And uh, they found him over here at the Roadway Inn. It's been tore down now. There's a, uh, a Best Buy over there. And uh, drug overdose. His mother, 
who I knew very well, couldn't find me, contact me, so my other friend had to go identify the body. She didn't want to go identify the body. Thank God for that, that I didn't have that image going through my mind for years. But no, I, I uh, was not raised in a monastery, just the opposite. I was very exposed. We were not monks. But praise God, at the age of 18, God did something in me. He brought a gentleman into my life, and he explained to me the provision that was made through the Father by sending his son. And I embraced that with all my heart. I needed change. I wanted change. And he immediately took me out of this atmosphere in Springfield, went to go live with my grandparents over in South Eugene. I began walking to the nearby church. And uh, Lighthouse Temple, 18th and Charlton, which is, then became later the uh, New Hope and then the Cove. But that's where I got my beginning. And uh, I'm beginning with the first out of five, very quickly here, principles. I would call them essential principles God instilled within me when it came to establishing a walk with him. I look back, and I'm going to share with you the, the five experiences God took me through and had me enter into understand and know uh, in that I believe God's going to use it somehow to stir something in within you. We're all at various stages in our walk with the Lord. Some of us may have not even gotten uh, our foot out the door. But God has brought you here today to hear this word and know that somewhere in my message, there's something for you. Amen? And so the first thing I did was got planted in the house of God. The scripture says that God places the solitary in family. That word solitary just means family. In the Psalms, it goes on to say, they that are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish. Man, my mouth's dry. They that are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. That word flourish in the Hebrew means to break out, to bud, and to sprout. It signifies someone or something that is developing, growing, and thriving very rapidly. And believe me, I was coming out of death. I tasted it. I saw it. And I needed something fresh. I needed something new. I needed something to bud and thrive in me as rapidly as possible. And I found that it took, God needed my cooperation. It, it, it took cooperation, cooperating with God to get planted. And so I got planted in the house of the Lord at the age of 18. And it was new to me. It was awkward. I had, I had not known church. Anybody can relate to that? <laughs> that awkwardness? I didn't talk like them. I didn't walk like them. I didn't look like them. But I was desperate, and I walked to the nearby church, all alone, sitting there, Sunday after Sunday, crying out, God, I need this. I would watch them interact with one another. I'd watch them hug one another. I... Uh, Grew up in a home in which I think I could remember twice that we actually sat at the dinner table. I had a brother, two sisters, my dad, my mother died when I was three. And at home, raised right down here on Beverly Street, I, I think twice I could remember sitting at the dinner table. On weekends and at uh, holidays and like Super Bowl today, we'd be at my grandparents' house over in Eugene. 
sitting down having a nice feast. But for the most part, I didn't know what a true family was. And when I began to see this, I thought, I needed this. John, don't screw this up. Though you don't act like them and talk like them, they'll help you out. But I remember it must have been like the second Sunday. And I'm going to share this very quickly because I'm going to use it at the end of my message as a metaphor. Uh, When it comes to awkwardness, when it comes to someone trying to fit in, it was my first communion. I don't know, maybe some of you, you were raised in the the church, but for me it was all new. And so uh, this is my first communion experience. I I come in, I I find my seat, I wanted to step in a ways it was pews, found my uh, pew section and uh, I left space for wherever else, wanted to sit on the end. And there was a few couples, uh, you know, down a ways. And I sat there. I thought, okay, John, just keep it together. Don't let these people know that you're, you're a heathen at heart. <laughs> Lord, help us all. <coughs> and I'm sitting there, and I'm thinking, okay, I can do this. Help me, Lord God. And uh, right before the service started, out of the corner of my eye, I saw someone coming into my section, and I turned. And I was in awe for about two seconds. Here was total royalty coming into my aisle. Total in white, total white, pure dress, and not just any kind of white dress. It was a royal white dress, flowing hair, must have been late 30s, early 40s, beautiful white hat, and she even had the white gloves on. And I thought, princess to Queen Diane or Queen Victoria or Elizabeth, whoever. I thought, whoa, I had never seen that before. And it wasn't even Easter time. She had the beautiful white hat on. And she didn't stop at the end. She kept coming. And I thought, whoa. She came and sat down right next to me. And I thought, this is awkward. But then I thought, oh, people will think we're related. I'm related to royalty. I got a glance at those white gloves, and seriously, I don't think Queen uh, Elizabeth wore gloves that were so beautiful. They were expensive. They were pure, white, holy gloves, very expensive. And I remember sitting there thinking, oh, God, today I'm related to royalty. Help me act like it, Lord. (laughs) Yeah, Lord, help us all. I never saw her up to that point in the church, and I never saw her after that. The communion's coming, and the bread, no, the wine came first, the the juice. I took it, handed it to her, immediately drank it. (laughs) Have my little empty cup there, and immediately the pastor says, "Uh, please uh, wait until everyone is served and we'll partake together. Ah, Blew that one. Next came the communion, the actual bread. As I'm taking it, I took one of those, it was perfect, like a one inch, just under one inch square, pure, perfect white bread, the center part. It was great. I took that. I thought, okay, John, don't screw up this time. Handed it to the queen next to me. And as he's explaining, a lot of I didn't understand, Without realizing it, I am squeezing this bread (laughs) intensely, Kyle, compressing it. 
and then begin to roll it into a nice, intense, round ball. I was impressed with myself. It was compressed, it was hard, and it was round, and I took a glance down at what I had just created. And you could no longer see any white. All the oil and dirt from my fingers was all over this thing. Oh, God. The John, you stupid idiot. And then the pastor said one of the most embarrassing things I have ever heard in my life. He said, please exchange your bread with the person next to you. I thought, what is this? Let's embarrass John Day. I thought, oh, God. And before I knew it, this beautiful, white, gloved hand was being extended. And in the middle was this perfect, untouched, unblemished, pure, square piece of bread. And I knew, oh, God, if I take that, there's got to be an exchange. Oh, and I knew, she just kept holding it out. And I took it. And she just continued to hold the beautiful white hand out. And then I dropped it in that glove. The contrast was so blatant, I had to turn my eyes. I never saw her again, as I said. <laughs> but I got to tell you, that church adopted me. <laughs> that church loved me. They became my friends. They became my family. They loved me. They prayed for me. They gave me a Bible. And they even allowed me to usher. And believe it or not, the church even allowed me to pass out communion. My great concern was that someday I'm going to be coming down the aisle and there on the end is the woman in white. You know, I'm looking forward to uh, for us meeting someday in heaven. That's going to be a, a, a happy day. We're going to get some good laughs. I'm looking forward to those days and that day. Amen. How many are looking forward to that day? But <clears throat> I got planted in the house of the Lord. And I believe that is the first step. For it is there you come under a shepherd. And that shepherd's goal is, is, to, is to feed you, yes, to protect you, but also to equip you and to train you. And not only that, but listen, God wants us to come under authority. And it's important to be accountable to be accountable to other brothers, to be accountable to other sisters. God designed this, not man. This was God's design. God says through the, the apostle, do not forsake the gathering of the saints as is the habit of some, but as you see that day drawing near, be sure to obey and gather. Praise God, you guys are faithful in gathering. And so that was the first principle God instilled within me. And the second one took place at a uh, cocaine dealer's house. I, uh, I had the attitude of, this is so great, the joy. 
the peace that comes from knowing Christ, that comes from knowing you're forgiven, that comes from being planted in a healthy family, walking with men and women of God, and, and it's so healthy. A lot of my friends came from broken families. Well, this cocaine dealer, he grew up in our neighborhood. Him and my brother used to live together in Springfield and sold drugs, and I heard that he was now over in Eugene. I found out where he lived, and so each night I'd go over there and I'd just pour my heart out to them in my own stumbling way of my testimony and how I got saved. And uh, we would be there, and, and the thing is, is he enjoyed it. He said, John, come back again. You know, I don't go anywhere. I mean, I'm here, my clientele come to me. <laughs> I couldn't figure out, you know, as I'm there each night, you know, and, and I'm talking with him about the Lord, and his clientele would come in, they'd do business, and I'd be introduced to them, and I'd immediately tell them how I used to do drugs, and I began to tell them about Jesus, and you know I couldn't figure out why they were always in a rush to get out. You know, after I began talking, <laughs> but <clears throat> that gentleman uh, whose house it was, he got up for a moment and and went into a back room, and something took place, and it was this that God wanted me to never forget. I stood and I began to pace in the room, and I said, God. I need to know that you hear me. I need to know that when I speak to you, you hear my voice. Lord, please, let me know that you hear me. And to my surprise, the Lord spoke to me. And he said, and I'm, this is my first year, I'm just a few months old in the Lord. And he said, uh, <clears throat> he said, Psalm 18, 6. By that time, I'm standing in front of the, 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 the fireplace, and on the mantle was a Bible I'd given this guy. And uh, I opened it up, and it said this, and God wanted me to never forget it. And this was the, the second principle that I wanted to share. And the scripture said this, <clears throat> David, <clears throat> Psalm 18, in my distress, I called upon the Lord, and I cried out to my God for help. He heard my voice, and my cry came before him, even into his very ear. God wants us to know, as he did with me that day, that he hears every cry. He hears every word that we utter to him. It's important that we understand that. The next uh, principle that took place was at the Lane County Fairgrounds. Praise God for the, the family of God in that atmosphere, you meet new friends. I needed new friends. And this one brother I worked with, our place of employment, uh, one day, it was a Friday, he said, uh, John, how would you like to, after service, go to the Lane County Fairgrounds? In the convention center, there's going to be a special speaker. I was the one driving. We were carpooling. We lived near one another up by the U of O. And uh, he said, there's going to be a special speaker there at this pastor's conference in the convention center, and his name is David Wilkerson. Have you ever heard of him? I had no idea who he was talking about. He said, oh, yeah, he, uh, and I told him, no, I don't know who you're talking about. He said, oh, he in the uh, late 50s, throughout the 60s, had a very powerful ministry to the gang leaders and the gangs and drug addicts and uh, in uh, downtown New York. And... There was a, a, a book, he wrote a book called Run Baby, uh, called uh, The Cross and the Switchblade. There was also a movie made from it. 
And uh, he led Nikki Cruz, who was a gang leader to the Lord. And uh, he gave his testimony in a book called Run, Baby, Run. And I said, hey, no problem. Let's do it. But the only problem is it's a pastor's conference. We're not pastors. He said, no problem. I'm going I'm to talk them into letting us go. So uh, after work, we go there. And uh, <clears throat> sure enough, he was able to talk uh, them to allowing us to go in there. The place was totally empty, packed with chairs. And uh, I thought, all right, we'll just sit down here in the back. And I'm following him. And he just keeps walking, walking, walking. I said, dude, he gets past the halfway mark. And I say, where are you going? He goes all the way up to the front, turns, and comes and sits right in the front row. And I said, dude, what are you doing? He says, we came to listen to David Wilkerson. God's going to speak through him. And that night, God birthed something in me that is still there to this day. I have never heard a man speak with such passion and such authority in Christ. At one point that night, he says, if you have not longed to know God with all your heart, if you have not been consumed with a passion to walk with God, and then I remember this, (laughs) if you have not been obsessed with becoming a man of God, then you've missed the mark entirely. And then he goes on and says, so you want to be a man of God, do you? You will drink your cup of pain. He will crush you before he ever uses you. I thought, oh. But God did something in that night. God did something through him that night in me. I wanted to be a man of God. I wanted to be used of the Lord to go back to my old friends and to tell them about Jesus. I wanted to tell the lost about the Lord. Soon after this, God called me into the ministry. And uh, specifically, uh, the mission film, a place in West Africa. And he made it clear that I was to go to Eugene Bible College. And the next essential principle that God instilled within me took place my first term of my first year at Eugene Bible College. Having done drugs for years, it was hard my first term, as you could imagine. Concentrating, full-time, all this study, then right after work going, right after school going to work, then working all day Saturdays. It was a Sunday after church. I came home to my apartment after service. I was so exhausted. I was so looking forward to napping with my cuddly duddly blanket. I had found this blanket at a store. It was like cuddling up a little teddy bear. And I couldn't wait as I'm taking off my shirt. I remember spouting off something to the Lord that went something like this. Lord, when your children hear your voice, help them obey. Lord, even when they don't feel like it. Someone knows where I'm going with this, I think. Lord, help them. They need to obey even if they don't feel like it. And I just got my arm out of one of the the sleeves. God speaks to me and says, go down to the Eugene Mall. And I thought, 
You're kidding, right, Lord? You're just testing me, right? Total silence. I, I couldn't even conjure up a counterfeit. Uh, I was just testing you, says the Lord. Go ahead and cuddle with your duddly. No, I couldn't conjure up anything. Total silence. I knew it was the Lord. Oh, God. I really stuck my foot in my mouth, didn't I? You're just testing me, Lord? No. Total silence. I knew it was the Lord. I got on my shirt back on and got on a jacket headed out the door. I go down to Gene Mall. Back then in the 70s and, and 80s, they closed off the streets. How many remember that? When it used to be all closed off and you just walked around everywhere. Well, that's how it was at that point. And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm there. I'm walking uh, in, the, in the mall area, downtown mall. And uh, I said, okay, Lord, I'm here. I obeyed. Why did you call me here? And I'm just walking along. And uh, as I'm walking along, the, uh, the Lord says, uh, communicates to me to turn right into this alley up here, up ahead. So, uh, so I get there and I, and I turn in there. And stone wall, brick wall, very narrow. It was a very unique, narrow alley. And it was about... 30 yards long with another just solid wall there. And the only thing that was in this alley was almost halfway up was a bench on the right. And there was a guy sitting on the bench looking down. And the Lord said, this is why you're here. Go speak to him. I thought, okay. So I begin walking towards this man who, who doesn't look up, never looks up. And as I'm getting closer, I notice he has a, a huge butcher knife in his hand. And he very intensely is stabbing it into the wooden bench over and over and over. And as I got closer, it is at these moments that you're rejoicing that you have memorized and believed such scriptures as, fear not, for I am with you, says the Lord. Yes. Amen. I just came right up to him, and he, he, he continued stabbing that knife into the bench as I spoke to him. I said, hey, man, what's up? That's how we spoke back then. <laughs> he just didn't look up or anything. Get stabbing, man. I said, hey, dude, I, uh, I gave my life to the Lord not too long ago. I used to be into drugs, partying, and uh, gave my life to the Lord. And I was just at my apartment, not too far from here, and the Lord told me to come here. What's up? He finally stopped with the knife, praise the Lord for that. That comforted me. But I never forgot the words he spoke, because the Lord never wanted me to forget them. He said this, I want to kill myself. I have been sitting on this bench, bench crying out to God for help. And then he said these words, I have no purpose in life. And I am so lonely. And those words struck a chord in my heart. I knew what it was like to be lonely. And I knew what it was like to want to just end it all. 
And I sat down with him on that bench that day, and we just cried and cried together. You know, anybody walking by, looking into that alley, must have thought, what a pitiful sight. <laughs> Two guys just sitting there bawling their heads off. And uh, it was, uh, was an interesting moment. And it was that day that God wanted me to know that he looks for a son or a daughter that will be sensitive to his cry. He looks for a son or a daughter that will hear these words as Isaiah did. Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Isaiah replied, here am I, send me. The scripture says the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the whole earth that he might strongly support those whose hearts are completely his. It was that day that this statement from our Lord Jesus took on a whole new meaning and changed my life forever. When Jesus said, the harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. Pray ye to the, to the Lord of the harvest that he had sent forth laborers into his harvest. Changed my life. I wanted to go to the harvest. I wanted to reach my friends. I wanted to reach the lost. And God began to show me a simple principle that I wanted to share with you today of what greatly helped me when it comes to walking with God. And it's taken, it's a, it's a single word taken from Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding and in all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct and guide your path. This word acknowledge means to admit that something is real, to take notice of something, to recognize the existence of something. And God spoke to me one day and he says, every morning when you wake up, I want you to acknowledge me. So I began. I get up in the morning. To acknowledge just means to recognize, to notice him. In, in, in Isaiah 26.3, it says, You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusts in thee. God taught me how to walk with him. I would get up in the morning and say, Good morning, Lord. Out of obedience. Good morning, Lord. How are you doing? I know, I know. You're doing great. Help me have a great day today. And he taught me something. It was this. Amen does not mean goodbye. He told me that I want you to walk with me. I want you to carry this conversation through the whole day with me. That we go through the day together. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. You know how close he is to us? He abides within us. He knows our every thought, our every motive. And as I begin to walk with him, I became more aware of his presence than I was of those around me. It's a beautiful place to be. David said, in your presence is the fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. There's something about the presence of God. Moses longed for it. 
David longed for it. The prophets of old longed for it because that presence brought something very beautiful. Moses said, Lord, if your presence does not go with me, I am not going anywhere. Moses learned that if the deliverer is not there to deliver, he, Moses, was in big trouble. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to end with an experience I had with my son because there was something God wanted to teach us concerning Moses, a man after God's presence. It says that he was set up outside the tent, which was called a tent of meeting. And uh, our meeting's about up. <laughs> he set up a tent of meeting in which... Every time he would go out to that tent of meeting, all Israel would notice this. And he would take Joshua with him. Joshua represented the next generation. It says the glory cloud would come down and fill that tent. And Moses spoke to God face to face as one speaks to a friend. And Joshua was exposed to it. And it says, when Moses would leave the tent, Joshua would remain. The next generation is our responsibility as parents, as church leaders. Becca West is doing a great job with her children in the children's ministry. She and the team have them about an, up for about an hour. We have them the majority of the time, besides our teachers. And God's wanting to remind us that we need to set the example. We, there needs to be something in us that's tangible, that's real. God says, they that come to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. Very quickly, my son and I were on a, uh, and I'll end with this. My son and I were on a uh, bike ride one day, a beautiful day. My son was still in high school at Sheldon and... and uh, we're riding along on the bike path, and I told him, I said, what we're going to do, you got to birth a, a desire within them. Something's got to put within them an interest. So I told him, after we're done with this bike ride, Daniel, we will go along the river near Valley River, and we'll end up at Valley River G BJ's and have ice-cold root beer. How many of you ever had homemade root beer at BJ's? It's great. Well, anyway, that stirred my son. So we're on this bike ride. And I'm going to share this very quickly here. Yeah, just a few minutes over. Uh, we're riding along, and we're uh, on Maris side. We're heading towards Maris, and then, you know, a little bit past Maris, there's the bridge, and then you come back all the way to Valley River and uh, come over the bridge again. And we're riding along, and all of a sudden, because <clears throat> I told him, we'll stop at uh, BJ's, and I'll lock the bikes up, this, that, and the other. We're riding along, and I said, oh, no. He about flew off his bike, says, what? And I said, I forgot the lock. Oh, man. I said, forgot the lock. And uh, we didn't want to go all the way back. And so I said, Daniel, I want you to agree with me in prayer. God's going to provide. We're going to pray that God would provide a rope. All we have to do is tie it on them. We'll park it near the window, and we'll be in there if anybody's trying to untie it while we're in, enjoying our root beers. Uh, we'll go out and deal with it. So I said, I want you to agree with me in prayer. God wants to, us to acknowledge him 
And so we prayed a simple prayer that day. But as we were praying, the, 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 the presence of God came all over me. And, uh, and uh, I told Daniel, I said, I want you to agree. And we were done. We're right. He says, so what, Dad? You think there's just going to be a rope laying in the middle of the path as we ride? I says, Daniel, the Lord will provide. We get past Maris, go over the bridge. We're coming on the other side. And if you've ever been over there, you know, the, the river is just beautiful. But as you're coming back on that other side, all of a sudden you come up to trees and bushes. And you can't see the river anymore, but there's these little paths in the middle of the bushes going down to the riverfront. And we passed one and come up to the next one. And the Lord spoke to me and said, the rope is down there. And I said, Daniel, the rope is over here. And he turns around and comes back and says, God's telling me the rope is down there. And you, you, as parents, you know that look when your teenager gives you that look? Like, you know, you're an idiot or something. <laughs> he says, down there, Dad, down there. The Lord's telling me that the rope is down there. So we pull the bikes off the, the side of the path. He puts his kickstands, goes down, gets to the waterfront. Dad, there's nothing down here. All there is is just a path going into these bushes. I said, Daniel, go in there. The Lord's telling me that the rope is in there. <laughs> so Daniel goes in there, and I can tell as he's stepping in there, I can't see him anymore. I've never been down there. I didn't know what he was experiencing. But I could hear this mumbling. <laughs> Parents, how many uh, heard the rumbling before? And I could hear him in there. And uh, he's saying, Dad, there's nothing in here. I said, Daniel, the Lord is saying, go just a little bit further. <laughs> he says, Dad, come here. So I park my bike. I go down there, and I turn in. And it, it was interesting. There was a narrow path going in between these big bushes. I couldn't see him. I finally caught up to him and says, Dad, look, it, there's nothing here. There's nothing. We're not going to find no rope here. I said, Daniel, the Lord is saying, go just a little bit further. He looked at me with that look. He says, go ahead. I'm not going any further. I took about three steps. It was about three feet and turned right. And there, right there in the middle of the path, hanging from a branch perfectly right in the middle of that path was the perfect rope. And you know, I brought that rope today to remind us that God still hears our voice. Amen? God still provides. God hears our cry. He's concerned. He cares. He's still Jehovah Jireh, our provider. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord God, for your provision. Thank you, Lord God, for the memorial of this rope to remind me, to remind my son Daniel. I don't even think he remembers, Father, that I kept this thing. But, Lord, it's a memorial to the fact that you are Jehovah Jireh. You are our provider. You still direct. You still guide. You're a good God. Lord, that day... You allow Daniel to taste of what I've been walking in for years. Your provision, your voice, your direction. Father, we pray for the next generation, Lord, that you would help us as parents 
to raise up our children in the way that we should go, they should go, Lord, that you would use us. Light a fire in us, Lord, to be more hungry, to draw near to you. Light a fire, Lord God, a passion. Father, I began this message today with an embarrassing situation in which, Lord, a pure white hand was offering, Lord God, the bread in communion. Father, we want to thank you for extending your hand, your son, that pure, spotless, white Lamb of God, slain from the foundation of the world, who did purchase with his blood men from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. Lord, that we would be kings and priests unto our God. Father, we look to you. Prepare us as, as parents, Lord to raise up the next generation, children and grandchildren. Lord, this day, if there's those who have never partaken of the sacrifice of your son, we look to you and we embrace that offering. Lord, help us learn, Lord God. Help us learn the importance of getting planted in the house of God. Help us learn, Lord, and know and understand that you hear our voice. Birth a desire, O oh God and a heart that realizes you are a lover of souls and that we would acknowledge you in all of our ways. In Jesus' name, amen.